Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Welcome to The Rock of Gainesville today. Glad you guys are here. If you're watching online, we welcome you also. Uh, So glad that you're here with us today. Also, uh, thank you, Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne, for the opportunity to share the word this morning as they are out of town. I certainly thank you for the opportunity to do this and to preach to the greatest people on the face of the earth. That, that's you, by the way. Just to, <laughs> give yourself a big hand. Come on. I uh, always enjoy being with you guys and teaching, preaching, and just spending some time with you. Thank you again, Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne, for the opportunity to do so. Uh, here's what I want to talk about today, the parable of the four soils, the parable of the four soils. Now, a lot of times we call this parable the parable of the sower, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's correct, but where I really want to spend most of my attention today is the parable of the four different types of soils that we see here in this particular uh, story. Now, what I've been doing is along with our regular Bible reading that we've been doing this year, is uh, I've been really just devouring uh, areas of the New Testament. Now, most of you guys that know me know I'm an Old Testament guy, but I've really been staying a lot in the New Testament, specifically uh, the four Gospels or the three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and really reading over and over and over again uh, the parables of Jesus. And you know what, guys? Uh, the parables of Jesus, just re- as I've really gotten into them, they just kinda, they're kind of blowing my mind, the stuff that's there that we're able to see. Now, I'm not a great storyteller. Uh, somewhere inside of me, there's a George Brantley trying to come out. Uh, you know, pastor is just this master storyteller that can take this normal, everyday thing and turn it into something that's really, really cool. That's just, that's not me. I'm not a great storyteller. But Jesus was a phenomenal, phenomenal storyteller. And I, I have fell, fallen rather in love with the parables, and I'll, I'll show you why in just a minute as we get into it. But where I want to spend my time today is the parable of the four soils. Now, when I look at the parable of the four soils right away, here's what I see. Listen closely. I see a farmer, that's God. I see a seed, that's God's word and I see soil, that's our lives. And what jumps out at me is I've got four different types of soil. I've got the same seed, but I got different results. Why? Why? I got the same seed, I got different results. And that's what I really want to take some time to examine today as we really get into the parable of the four soils. Now, let me give you a context. The context is this. We have two kingdoms. We have the old kingdom and the new kingdom. Uh, Some people call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the old kingdom, it was ruled by kings and territories and land and boundaries, not by elections. How many of you know that in America, we have an election? Do you remember the election we had just a couple of years ago where everybody in America went off their medication? Do you remember that? And so we elected a president. We're run by a bicameral house. We are what's called a democratic republic. But that was not the kingdom 
of the Old Testament. The kingdom of the Old Testament was land and territory and kings and rules and regulation. And then the new kingdom, the kingdom of God comes along. And here's what the Bible says. Listen to me now. It is an ever-increasing kingdom. Come on now. It's not, it's not bound up by land. It's not bound up by boundaries or territories. Here's what the word says, that of your government there shall be no end. It's an ever-increasing kingdom. Now, in the old kingdom, the teaching was law. It was uh, rules, as I said a moment ago, regulation, prophecy, maybe a little bit of history. But uh, in the new kingdom, the teaching was now done by parables. And as I said, I have fallen in love with the parables of Jesus. Let me show you why. Here's what a parable does. Listen closely. A parable takes the there and the then and turns it into the here and the now. Let me say it again because you missed it. A parable will take a there and the then and turn it into the here and the now. There was a son who took his riches and went down to a foreign land. And what this son did was lost everything he owned, and he ended up in the pig pen. And he decided that he came to the end of himself, and he decided he would go back to his father. And his father saw him at the end of the road and said, this is my son who was dead but is alive again. And he threw a big party. He put a ring on his finger and a coat on his back killed the fatted calf, and said, this is my son who was dead and is alive again, and you too can have that life. Amen. There and the then turns it into the here and the now and makes it applicable to you and I. Come on now. And that's what I love about the parables because it takes the everyday stuff and it makes it come alive in your life and my life. There was a monument in England to John Wesley. And this monument, when it was unveiled, Wesley stood in front of it and looked at it very closely and said, this is but the representation of one man's life. The God that I serve, his goodness and his love is everywhere. And, and that's what Jesus does for us and shows us in these parables as we look at them, because the kingdom of God is everywhere. All right, let's break this down. The parable of the four soils. Let's start reading in Mark chapter 4, verse 10. Here we go. Mark chapter 4, verse 10, here's Jesus speaking, and he says, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him were with him and asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, now he starts quoting Isaiah here, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. What does that mean? He's saying, hey, I'm telling you these things so that truth will be revealed to you. And he's quoting Isaiah to do that. Now, he gets into this parable. Here it is, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, it never gets in the soil. It never drops down in there and it really never has any ability. It's kind of blocked off and held off and closed off. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
Others are like the seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others are like seeds sown among the thorns. They hear the word, watch this now, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, worry, wealth, whatever, there we go, worry, wealth, and everything else come in mind and choke the word out, making it unfruitful. Others, though, here we go, guys, others, though, they're like seeds sown on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, and produce a crop 30 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Say, come on, I want that to be me. Come on, somebody. I want that to be me. All right, let's look at the parable of the four soils. Here's the first soil. Write it down. Number one, the hard soil. The hard soil. The the seed is sown, but the ground is so hard, it never has the ability to get in here. Not coming in here. The hard soil. Here's what I call it. The close-minded believer. The close-minded minded believer. They hear the word, but it's not getting in here, not letting it in, not letting it come into this place called the soil of my soul. It's a real hard, very rigid, uh, uneventful type of soil. Look at verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, never gets in, not coming in here, it's staying on top. Satan comes in and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, when I read that verse, and when I look at that particular soil, here's where my mind goes. I start thinking about our ability or our willingness, or maybe I should say our unwillingness to hear from God, to really receive from the word. Our willingness or our unwillingness to really get the word in the soil of our soul. You know what? Everybody in this room has the ability to hear the voice of God. Come on, somebody. I've got the ability to hear God's voice. But what happens is there is uh, a discounting of that ability, even though I know I can hear. I hear it all the time, guys. Pastor Ron, what can I do to hear God's voice better? How can I hear from God? How can I receive more from the Word and hear the voice of God? I'm not, I don't seem like I'm really hearing from God. I'm not very good at that. We discount our ability to hear from the Father, and my response to that is typically this. Well, what's your emphasis on? Because if I'm not hearing from God, the emphasis is on me, not on God. Because you know why? We serve a talking God. We serve a speaking God. Now, listen to me. We may not like what he's saying, but we serve a speaking, talking God that's always speaking on us so if we, or speaking to us. So the emphasis may be more on us than on the Father. And if that's the case, we're not hearing from God. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you know someone that's hard of hearing? Let, let me say it this way. Do you know someone that's hard of hearing? of hearing. (laughs) Because that's what we do a lot of times. We know someone that's hard of hearing, and so we talk really loud so that maybe they will hear us better. It's kind of like, hey, hey, how many of you are like Pastor Ron? You've been guilty of this. 
You're talking to someone that doesn't speak your language, so you talk really loud. You, you talk, como esta? Muy bueno. Tres leches. Empanada. You start talking in such a way that you talk really loud. Or here's, here's what I've, I've done a lot of times. I'll get right up in front of someone that's hard of hearing, and I'll talk real loud and, and really slow. How are you doing today? <laughs> Hoping, like goodness, they could read my lips. Are you feeling all right? Well, hey, there's a good side to that. What's the good side of that? Uh, listen to me. I'm taking the responsibility to be heard. And that's exactly what the Father is doing for you today. He's taking the responsibility for you to be heard. The problem is, is are we unwilling to hear the voice of God? Or is there hard soil there that's not letting the Word of God in? Here's what the Word says. Faith come by he comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It does not say this. Faith comes by hearing, not having heard. See, what I have a tendency to do too often, guys, is I rely on the voice of God of yesterday. And I need the voice of God today. I need to hear from the Father right now. Faith comes by hearing. Hey, listen to me. Don't discount what the Father said to you a while back. It can be an encouragement to you. It can be good for you. It can build you up in faith. But don't rely on what you heard sometime in the past because God is speaking to you today in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody, and say, yeah. Faith comes by hearing, not having heard. Let me show you what I'm talking about. What we do too often is we rely on some past experience. Now, again, let it be an encouragement to you, but don't rely on it. How many of you remember when the nation of Israel was going through the wilderness and they were getting bitten by snakes? Do you remember that? Not a pleasant story by any means, but it's true. What did God tell them to do? To take a brass serpent and put it on a wooden pole and hold it up and those snakes will leave you alone, right? And it worked. Now watch this. 750 years later, the nation of Israel is going into the temple and the guy leading the crowd has a wooden stick with a brass serpent on it. Why? It worked then, it must work now. Now, I need a fresh word from God today. I need to hear the voice of the Lord right now and hear what God is saying to be right now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Number two, write it down. Here's the second soil, a shallow soil, a shallow soil. I call this a superficial-minded believer. Every thing going on in their life is causing them to have this, this rocky soil. And so as a result of that, the word never really takes any root. There's no depth. There, there's no life. There's no extended ability to trust God's word because it never really takes root in the soil of our soul. A superficial minded believer. Mark 14 verse 16. Watch this. Others like seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word and once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. And then when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. The shallow soil 
It never really takes root, a superficial-minded believer. You know what I kind of compare this to? Now, I'm not throwing stones, so everybody hear Pastor Ron's heart. I compare this to the believer that really, really, really likes the fireworks. They like the excitement, but then Monday morning comes. Come on, somebody. And they got to walk out into a real world with a real devil and a real enemy and a real challenge. And all of a sudden, those fireworks that were so, ex- man, wasn't, come on now, wasn't last Sunday fun in here? Come on now. And it was exciting. Man, we love last Sunday. Pastor Jamie, the worship team was literally out of sight. Dana, your, your monologue was off the stinking chain. People's, pastor's word was unbelievable. And people, come on somebody, 18 accepted Jesus. Man, what a great day it was. And then Monday comes. Man, it was, it was like 20 times last Sunday. I got the Jesus jingles. Come on, somebody. It felt good, man. But then Monday comes. Monday comes. And I've got to walk into a real world with real opposition and a real enemy that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And if I'm only living on the fireworks of yesterday, he's going to eat my lunch. So I've got to go beyond that. We try to do everything we can to dodge trouble. But you know what? Here's what the word says. In this world, the word world there in the Greek language is kosmate. It literally means the world system. In this anti-God system, in this Babylon system, in the system that doesn't line up with God, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I'm, I, I can try to... Man, we got security systems in our home. We live in gated communities. We have really big insurance policies, and we're doing all we can to try to dodge trouble. Guess what? Not going to dodge trouble. Don't have to worry about it. The Word of God, when heaven and earth will pass away, the Word of God that's in your soul will still be standing. So I don't have to worry about trying to dodge trouble. So what do I do in the meantime? I walk in courage. I walk in courage. Now, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's an unwillingness to be overcome by it. It's not the absence of fear. I'm going to get up in the morning sometimes, and I'm going to, I'm going to be dealing with fear. But I'm not going to be overtaken by it. Come on now. I'm not going to be overtaken by it. So in the meantime, I walk in courage, and I walk in faith and know that my God The word says this, my God will sustain you. Come on, somebody. My God will sustain you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I love this scripture right here. 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14, there's a story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Now, an armor bearer is not much more than an equipment manager. I mean, that's kind of all he is. And Jonathan gets to a mountain, and as he gets to the mountain, he's standing there, and he looks up at the mountain, and on the top of the hill is the Philistine army. And Jonathan kind of looks up there and he assesses his opponent and he looks at his equipment manager and says, I think we can take them. A little bit of street in Jonathan. How about you? I like that, don't you? I think we can take them. The scripture says this, Jonathan spoke to his equipment manager and said, if they invite us to come up there, they will be handed over to the armies of Israel. And so Jonathan is standing there, and sure enough, the Philistine army says, yeah, come on, come on, 
Come on. And so they start crawling up the hill. There's no camouflage. There's no place to hide. The Philistine army is looking over the hill, watching them come up the hill. And as they come up the hill and they get, watch this now, they get to the top of the hill, the Philistine army falls over and is defeated. They never lifted a sword. Come on, Jesus. They never lifted a sword. And then what happens is the rumor starts spreading. The rumor of Jonathan's courage and his equipment manager's courage, it starts spreading and the earth begins to shake. And as the word starts spreading, there were those, here's what the Bible says, there were those of the nation of Israel that were on the side of the Philistines that were hiding out, thinking if I team up with these guys, they'll leave me alone. They heard the rumor of Jonathan's courage. They ripped off the Philistine garb and ran back to the nation of Israel. Man, here's what you got to get. Your courage is going to take not only yourself, but other people out of complacency and take them to their destiny. Oh, you, more than two really ought to clap. (laughs) Courage and being rooted in God's word gets me out of, gets me, gets us out of complacency and takes me, us, to our destiny. Why? Because word's not falling on a rocky soil. It's falling on a place where it's going to bring forth fruit and fruit. Come on now. Fruit that remains. Fruit that remains. Number three, write it down. A thorny soil. I call this a preoccupied mind. Coffee break. I call this a preoccupied mind. Here it is. My mind is on everything but God's promises. My mind's on everything going on around me. It's on everything but God's promises. Look at verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and everything else comes in and chokes out the word making it unfruitful. My mind's on everything else like worries, wealth, and the desire for other things. And it comes in and it chokes out the word, making it unfruitful. Hey, let me stop just a second and declare something over you. I want to prophesy over you today something that literally is lined up in the word, but it's nothing, so it's nothing that you haven't heard before. But I want to prophetically declare over you that you possess. Say me. Me. Say me. Me. I possess, you possess the mind of Christ. You need to receive that right now in Jesus' name. Now, I know it's in the Word, so I'm not prophesying anything that you haven't heard before. But I want you to get it in your spirit that you possess the mind of Christ. Here's how I know that. The mind of Christ is a reward of repentance. You reckon I'll say that again? The mind of Christ is a reward of repentance. It's, It's really simple, guys. Let me ask you a question. What was your mind like before you got saved? Huh? Come on now. What was your mind like before you before you came to Jesus? It was oppressed, 
It was a mind of fear. It was a mind of double-mindedness. It was a mind of anxiety. It was a mind of worry. It was a mind of everything that the enemy wanted to try to. It was a mind full of accusations from the accuser of the brethren. And then you came to Jesus. You received the mind of Christ and you were transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so as a result of that, you received the reward of repentance, the mind of Christ. And now you see like Christ you act like Christ, you think like Christ, and you are like Christ. Why? Because my life's been transformed, man. I'm thinking differently. I'm looking at, here, here we go now, I'm looking at those things that are not as though they are. I'm calling it into existence. I'm calling it into reality. I'm seeing things that Jesus sees. I'm thinking the way Jesus thinks. Therefore, I'm acting the way Jesus acts. I'm calling it this, transformational thinking. Transformational thinking. Hey, now, let's, let's be honest for just a second. How many times have you and I said this? I've got so much on my mind. Man, my mind's just getting bombarded I got so much on my mind. I mean, it's just, it's cloudy. I, I wish I had a nickel for every time I've said that lately, Jamie. Man, I, I wish, I've got so much coming at me. I wish I had a nickel for every time I said that. No, I wish I had a dollar. <laughs> While we're at it, I wish I had a five. I've got so much on my mind. Now stop and think. Think about this. How much do you think Jesus had on his mind during his earthly ministry? man. I mean, he's got the government trying to kill him. He's got the Pharisees trying to trick him. Every time he walks into a city, the throngs of the people are coming to him, wanting something from him. He's got those crazy disciples that he's trying to keep in line. I mean, he's got all kinds of things on his mind, yet he had the ability to look at a small lunch and see leftovers. transformational thinking, calling those things that are not as though they are. He looked at a lunch. He saw five loaves and two fishes, and he didn't see what was there. He saw leftovers after he feeds over 5,000 people. Transformational thinking. I call it divine reasoning. It's not human reasoning. It's divine reasoning. If I reason in my mind, what do I see? I see a fast food lunch. There's more bread than meat. You'll get it. I know. Uh, some of you are going to be sitting at lunch today saying, oh, that's what he was talking about. Some of you are going to be eating a filet of fish. Oh, that's what he was talking about. He saw a fast food lunch and saw leftovers. That's divine reasoning. Now, listen. When I walk in divine reasoning, I, have, I don't have human reasoning. I have a but God moment. You've been diagnosed with cancer, but God heals my body. You've been diagnosed with illness, but God heals my body. Your finances are falling apart, but God is Jehovah Jireh, the supplier of all of my needs. Your family is falling apart and your kids are in rebellion, but God is watching over them, bringing, back them, bringing them back to salvation. But God. 
Now, I don't always start there, do you? I don't always start there. Matter of fact, you know, I, most of the time I don't start there. I've got to get there. Why do I not start there? Exactly what I told you, human reasoning. I've got so much on my mind, and I've got to work through it. So I don't always start there. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The difference between really knowing what is right and human reasoning. I played, uh, I played high school baseball. And I actually was a better baseball player than I was a basketball player, if you'll allow me to say it that way. Uh, I know that sounds kind of bad, so please forgive me. But I, pl I, I played basketball, Coach, because it was the love of my sporting life. But I actually was a better baseball player. And I loved playing baseball, but I was a better basketball player, so I kept playing baseball. And I was actually pretty good at it. I was a pitcher. I could throw it over 90 miles an hour. I just didn't know where it was going. Now, that's an advantage because neither did the batter. <laughs> and so I'm pitching the opening game of the Class 5A state championship in Alabama. And I'm, I'm throwing seeds, man. I'm throwing high heat. I'm throwing the gas. I'm letting it rip. And in about the third inning, Don Ritchie from Florence, Alabama comes to bat. Six foot four, 225 pounds. He went on to play linebacker at Alabama, and he comes up to bat. And so I'm ready to throw to Rich. Here we go. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, because here's how you pitched Rich. High and tight. High and tight. You did not let those forearms get over the plate. High and tight. I'm standing there on the mound, and I'm looking at Rich, and all of a sudden, I say this in my mind. Now, I know I'm supposed to throw a fastball. I'm going to throw him a curve. I'm going to throw him a curve. Now, I know what was right to do, but reasoning overrode what I knew was right. Ooh, ooh. Everybody say, ooh. I know what to do that is right, but reasoning overrode what was right. So I'm standing on the mound. My catcher, Ricky Franklin, I threw the best hanging curveball that's ever been thrown in the history of baseball. As far as I know, that ball is still in orbit. <laughs> the only thing that flies farther has stewardesses. In my mind, I knew what I was supposed to do. But human reasoning overrode what I knew I was supposed to do. How many times in our spiritual life do we find ourselves fighting that battle? We know and are knower what God has spoken to our spirit, but we let that human reasoning override it, and it doesn't turn out well. Now, here's the good news. I serve a God that is a redeemer of mankind. He redeems my mistakes. He redeems my mess-ups. But what I want to do is not be shallow or superficial in my mind. I want to be deep enough not worried enough about all the other stuff to do what God has called me to do. Look, go ahead and put it up there. I'm not worried about worry. How many of you ever once in a while you worry? Put your hand up. You find yourself walking in worry. You, you worry about your family. Go ahead, put it up. You worry about your finances. Go ahead and put it up. You worry about what's going on in culture. 
How many of you are worried right now because I keep asking you to put your hand up? Why does he keep asking us to put our hand up? Worry, wealth. And then Jesus says this, we worry about wealth, about worry, and everything else. Because the enemy is going to bombard our mind with everything he possibly can. Let me show you the answer to that. Here we go. Quote by Chris Vallotton. When we take our rightful place, seated with Christ, watch this now, we live powerfully and offensively. Nothing superficial about being offensive in your Christian walk. We live powerfully and offensively. I love this statement right here. Our prayers become declarations that direct our destiny. That's an offensive prayer. That's not, now I lay me down to sleep. That's not bless the food. Nothing wrong with those prayers, but those are not little prayers. I'm, I'm talking declarations that, here we go, look at the last line, the, that the kingdom within us directs the world around us. I start making declarations that come out of me and directs the world around me. Last one, here we go, and I'm done. The good soil. The good soil. This is where we need to be, guys. The good soil is this, a willing mind, a yielded mind, a yield that's given over to the things of God. Here's verse 20. Let's look at it. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some a hundred times what was sold. When I yield my life when I yield my soul over to the things of God, all of a sudden I start bearing fruit. And as I said a moment ago, it's fruit that remains. Here's my responsibility. My responsibility is this, to obey and yield myself to God. That's really my only responsibility, guys. I can make this thing called Christianity really difficult if I want to. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to have 25 different swing thoughts. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Or I can keep it really, really simple. Yield my life to the Father. And through that process of obedience, I gain understanding. Because all of us have been in situations where we've scratched our head and we said, God, what's going on here? What's, what's going on? I, I don't, what's taking place? I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. And we scratch our head and say, what's going on, God? So what do I do? I keep obeying the Father. And as I continue to obey, obey the light gets brighter. Come on now. The light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And then I've have, I have one of those aha moments. Oh, I see what you're doing now, God. This is starting to make sense. And that understanding came through that process of obedience. My responsibility is just to obey and yield to God. Here's how Job said it. Job chapter 22, submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. You know what I have found in my life, and you probably have found this too. I don't always have the power to control what's going on around me, but I always have the power to surrender to God. I may not always have the power to control my situation, but I can always yield to God. I can always turn things over to the Father. And when I do, when I do, here's what I do. I invade the arena of the impossible. I invade, I yield to the Father, and I invade the arena of the impossible because nothing, come on now, nothing is impossible with the God that we serve. 
You know, everything that God created is finite. But he lives in the, the arena of the infinite. He lives in the arena of the impossible. Everything he created, created has a beginning and an end. It's finite. But he doesn't live in that arena. He lives in the arena of the impossible. And so what he wants to do is to give us, give to us access to that arena of the impossible. And how does he do it? He keeps it really, really simple. Nothing is impossible to those that believe. Nothing is impossible to those that believe. Hey, let me ask you a question as I wrap up here. What is the great privilege of the believer? Now think about it. What is the great privilege of the believer? It's to believe. <laughs> it's really simple. The great privilege of me as a believer is to put my faith and my trust in God and believe in what he's doing. Now, in order to do that, I've got to take some risks. Ooh, I don't like that word, Pastor Ron. Well, let me give you a real Bible word. I got to walk in faith. I got to walk in faith. I've got to go to the arena of the unknown. I don't see everything as it's unfolding. I don't understand everything as it's unfolding. It's a little risky. So I take risks. I step out in faith. I go to that place of wondering what's going to happen next, the, the, the stepping into the unknown. And as I do that, God begins to make himself known to you and I. Walking in that arena of faith. Last thing, and I'm going to close. Here we go. I love this statement, so please get this. Sometimes we think obedience is a test. And you know what? Sometimes it is. Sometimes obedience is a test. But let me ask you a question. What if our obedience is really designed to be God's way of giving us what's best for us? Sometimes obedience, it really is a test. But what if it's this? He's saying this, just obey me and you're going to walk into the riches of my kingdom. Do what I ask you to do and you're going to walk into the blessings of my kingdom. It's not necessarily a test to see if we're really committed. We are committed. It's an unfolding, an opening of the door of favor. Come on, somebody. It's an opening. It's an unfolding of the door of favor. So I can find myself being closed off and missing out on God's voice. I can find myself having my mind on everything but God's promises. I can really like the fireworks of today and then tomorrow morning hits and I really find myself fighting that spiritual battle that's trying to steal the life of God from me. Or I can be that good soil, that willing heart that says, God, here I am. Here I am. That's one of the things I love about Isaiah. Isaiah says, here I am. Isaiah lived at a time where literally the nation of Israel was in one of its most challenging situations. And Isaiah said, here I am. It's a bunch of crazy people out there, God. It's a bunch of crazy people out there, but here I am. Send me. Send me. I'm willing. Come on and stand with me, if you will. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless the people of God today. Father, I thank you for the power of your word and the power of the life of your word. Father, I thank you today, Lord, that, that we can be that good soil. That good soil yielded to you, turned over to you, willing in 
all of our ways to just allow you to do whatever it is you desire to do in our lives. Father, I thank you, Lord, that if there is that, that, that battle that's going on in our mind or our lives today, that again, the power of God is here to, to help us to be transformed and renewed in our mind. So I pray over anybody here today, Lord, that's dealing with that battle in their mind, that there is a, a free, he who the Son sets free in their mind is free indeed. And you're here to do that. Nobody's looking around just for a second. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed just for a moment. You're here today and you say, Pastor Ron, I am really, really, really battling that, that mind battle. Man, I feel like everything that in the world is that could be possibly coming against me is coming against me and I don't have any answers because I don't have Jesus in my life you're here today and you say Pastor Ron I'm, I'm not a follower of God or maybe you followed Jesus at one point and you walked away in that situation of your life and you're finding yourself saying I'm, I'm fighting that battle and the enemy is just beating the mess out of me and I want to come to that place of having that peace that you talked about and receive that peace by receiving Jesus you're here today and you're in that place. I want to pray for you. Would you put your hand up right where you are? Yes. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? I'm in that, yes, thank you. I'm in that place where I need to accept Christ. You know what I love, guys? You can put your hand down after you've raised it. What I love about the Father and, and the work of Jesus in our life is how simple he makes it. Makes it. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, you shall be saved. So we're going to pray together. I'm going to lead you in prayer. And as I pray, I want you to pray out loud with me. And we're just going to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. Everybody in the building is praying right now. Father, I come to you. And I come in Jesus' name. And I am declaring that I am sick and tired of this battle that I'm fighting. I want to be changed. I want to be made new. As the Bible says, all those old things in my life, they're going to be gone, and you're going to make me new. And so I confess with my mouth that Jesus died and rose again, and now I'm accepting you, Lord, as my Lord and Savior. And I do so in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord a big ovation of praise. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.